prayer. Lord God, as we open up the word today, God, as we open up our Bibles, God, we ask that you would help us to learn, God, today. Help us to understand this passage. And as we do, God, may we grow, Lord. May we come to see ourselves growing in trust and faith in you. And God, may you help us, Lord, to see that you're speaking to us. And through your word, may it transform us, God, and may we become different different men and women, Lord, different people, God, than, than how we came into the, connecting into this live stream this morning. So, God, even though we're not physically together, we are connected here, not just electronically, but we are connected through your Spirit. And I pray right now, Lord, that through your Spirit, that you would anoint this time, anoint the place we're in, and may it become holy to you as we open your word. May it become a holy place as we hear from you and we meet with you this morning. So bless your word, God, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, uh, I read about this frog, and he told his friend, I saw your future last night in a dream. Really? What was it? asked the second frog. You're going to meet a beautiful young girl said the first frog. From the moment she set eyes on you, she will have a great desire to know everything about you. Oh, that's great, said the second frog. Maybe maybe she'll kiss me, I'll turn into a prince. So, so when and where will I meet her? Tomorrow, said the first frog, in biology class. <laughs> well, that's not uh, such a good prediction for this frog, isn't it? It's not going to be good for this frog. Well, as we continue on in the book of Daniel, we see the prophecy of a wicked leader who will not do good for the people of Israel. But we're going to see that God's sovereign hand was still in control when we look back on what happened in history. All this amazing truth is found here in what I call prophecy and history. And we're going to do part two this Sunday. Last week we had part one, but today our title is Prophecy and History, part two. Now we're going to be studying Daniel chapter 11 from verse 21 through verse 35 this morning. And we're going to see three things in our section here. Number one, the rising power. Number two, the raging evil. And number three, the refining work. All right, let's get into our passage this morning, Prophecy and History in part two here. Uh, we're going to be taking a look here in our outline heading number one, the rising power, the rising power. And in this section, we're going to cover Daniel chapter 11 from verses 21 through 27 for those of you who are taking notes. And But first of all, let's take a look at the first verse for this morning, verse 21, verse 21. Take a look with me with your Bibles here, and it says, In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now we'll stop right there. We begin with the continuation of the prophecy that's been given to Daniel from the angel. And that, that's what we're coming into here in this passage. Now, if you remember last time we were together in the book of Daniel last Sunday, we saw the prophecies on the Persian kings, the rise of the Greek Empire and with Alexander the Great. And we also saw the prophecy of the splintering of the Greek Empire into four kingdoms. Now, the Greek kingdom continued on, but it splintered into different kingdoms, still part of this Greek Empire, though. And then we focused in on two of those kingdoms, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. That's the king of the south and the king of the north. Now the southern kingdom is Egypt and the northern kingdom is Syria. And sandwiched in between these two kingdoms, Syria and Egypt, right in between was Israel. And in between these battling nations, sandwiched in between was Israel. So you remember the prophecies came in an answer to Daniel's prayer in chapter 10. 
So we saw this answer, and this is God's future plan for Israel and the world. And so that's the real gist of it that we're seeing in this prophecy. Okay, so we ended last time with the death of the Syrian king, yeah, the north, the king of the north, Seleucus the fourth. That was his name. We saw that last time. Well, the prophecy now goes on here in verse twenty-one, and it says, "In his place." shall arise. So in place of King Seleucus IV now will arise this contemptible man. Now the NLT, uh, it translates it this way, despicable man. So this is a wicked king. He's despicable. He, he will rise to power, but majesty is not given to him, it says here. In other words, he's not going to rise up in a normal way and succeed, succeed, you know, succeed uh, the, the throne as like it, 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 you know, normally will. He will rise also, it's told here in verse 21, he will rise without warning. In other words, he'll surprise everyone that he's come into power and that he will, it says here, obtain the kingdom by flatteries. In other words, he will manipulate his way in politically onto the throne. All right, well, this prophecy is about Antiochus the fourth. We've seen a lot of Antiochus in our passage last week, and now this is four, number four, the fourth. Antiochus the fourth. He is the rising power, thus our heading here, right here in this section. Now, as I've been showing you, and I asked you first of all, did this prophecy here come true? Did verse 21 come true? And I have to say, yes, it did come true. History tells us now that Antiochus IV, he took the throne in 175 B.C. Now, understand the rightful heir was the son of Seleucus IV, who, who remember, was poisoned and died. Demetrius was supposed to take the throne. But while he was like detained in a Roman prison, Antiochus took advantage of that, paid off people in position and power and money and he paid him off to support him and then he took power over the northern kingdom Syria so this is the kind of guy that he he was I mean he he took this name actually Antiochus Epiphany uh, Epiphany he added that to his name Epiphany means glorious one so you can get an idea of this guy he was all into himself he was all into putting himself up a, a power and riches, and, and, and he wanted to be the man. This Antiochus Epiphany is also the same one, the little horn that we saw in chapter 8 of Daniel. Remember, I mentioned him back then. And as we saw there, he is actually a preview of the future Antichrist. You could say he's the Old Testament type, of the Antichrist that we see in the book of Revelation. Now, as we come into this section, it's all about Antiochus Epiphany. The prophecy is all about him. And it's actually a preview and a precursor to the next section, Daniel, which we'll see next time. And that's all about the coming Antichrist. But first of all, the prophecy that God brings to Daniel through the angel is about Antiochus Epiphany or Antiochus IV. And history shows us that it's true. We're going to see how accurate this prophecy was. And even in verse 21, we see that already. Now remember, this prophecy that Daniel's receiving, it was given to him in what year? Do you remember? 536 B.C. And Antiochus Epiphany, Antiochus IV, he came to rule in 175 B.C. So that's 360 years after after the prophecy was given. So amazing again as we're going through this chapter, how accurate and how how this prophecy, how true it is that God could see that and it came true 361 years after the prophecy. Okay, so the prophecy goes on now and take a look at verse 22 through 24. It reads here, Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do 
what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. So, we see Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphany here. He totally swept away in verse 22. Or he came and he attacked, you know who? The, the, the south, right? Egypt. He came and there attacked Egypt. And he even, in that, that sweeping of, of the armies of Egypt, he also gets rid of, and notice here it says, the prince of the covenant. That speaks of a leader, a prince, a ruler of Israel. The covenant speaking about the nation Israel and their relationship with God. So even a prince, a ruler, a leader of Israel, he even gets rid of him. And then Antiochus IV will then make an alliance with uh, the, the south, which is Egypt. But he's gonna, it's going to be done deceitfully. In other words, he's going to lie about this. He will become strong, it says here. In other words, he'll take over Egypt. And you know how he's going to do that? With a small people. In other words, with a small force, he's going to go through and do this amazing thing and, and take uh, uh, Egypt all the way. Surprise, he's going to take the richest areas of Egypt. And there he's going to... Uh, receive and take great plunder like like none of his fathers or fathers before that did but he will only go far go so far only for a time it's gonna he's gonna be limited to how much he's gonna really take egypt and and that's interesting we're gonna see that phrase only for time or for the time appointed but this word time is interesting because you know what it refers to how god will only allow so much that he is able to go so in all this we see god is still watching over things and in control so did this prophecy come true in this next section well i have to say yes it did history tells us that now antiochus the four was able to fight off that egyptian attack and then take jerusalem he he then you know what he dismissed the high priest on onias the third and that's that leader that's that prince of the covenant you know why because he was being loyal to egypt so he dismissed him and then antiochus we see in history he made a treaty with egypt but he didn't keep it. He took a small army, a small people, it says here in the prophecy, and little by little he took towns and cities in Egypt. He just started from you know from the from the north coming down, coming down, and coming into Egypt, who is in the south. And he started to take these little towns with just a small group of people, but mostly he took these towns by bribing the local officials. That's this kind of guy he was. He made his way. Uh, into the Nile and into that place until he reached the richest territory there, richest area, and he plundered it all. But he could not take Alexandria. He could not go all the way into that. For, interesting enough, right, history tells us he, in this push, he didn't take Alexandria. He didn't take all of Egypt because verse 24, right, says only for a time. He could only be successful only for a time. That is the Lord drew the line and did not let him go any farther. And I'll tell you what, that's comforting to know that God is watching and he's in control and he draws the line of how far things can happen all right so we see next now verses 25 now verse 25 through 27 in this next next prophecy take a look with me here verse 25 and he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army and the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army but he shall not stand for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Verse 27, And as for two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. All right, now this gets interesting here too in this prophecy. Still talking about Antiochus Epiphany, Antiochus the Fort. Antiochus now, he comes against the king of the south. So we know that that's Egypt, right? The king of Egypt. Now, 
Ptolemy the sixth is king of Egypt at this time. We've been following the Ptolemies last time uh, in succession. You know, all these Ptolemy the one, the first, the second, the third. But now we're, we're to Ptolemy the sixth. So he's the Egyptian king. He's the king of the south. So he gets together this large army. But the prophecy says here, even with the large army, uh, Egypt loses to Antiochus. Uh, why? Because he had been making deals because of the plot that says here, right? Because he's been making deals behind Ptolemy's back. His very own leaders who ate, who eat his food, who were at his table, they had gone behind his back, these backroom little deals here going on. And so Antiochus was able to defeat this huge army because some of his heads and trusted advisors had given him bad, bad counsel and all of that. And so that's what we're seeing here. And then it says, then two kings, which is talking about Antiochus one and one from the south, they sit down to talk after all of this. So they sit down, but it says they will speak lies. In other words, they did not intend to follow through with this peace agreements. Both end, both ends. But it says here, for the end of the wars is still not yet. Well, we see on one hand, they're, they're deceiving each other anyway. But on the other hand, there is a time appointed. And that again, the word time. Uh, the end isn't yet. The time appointed. You know, you know what that means? God is working according to his calendar so so that's the idea and and understand when it says for the end is still not yet basically you know what it's talking about the end of time or the world as we know looking all the way forward into the future into even our future when at the end of the seven years of tribulation jesus christ will come and set up his rule and reign so even here in this prophecy god is referring to hey that hasn't come yet. You know, even though these guys are, aren't going to lie and everything, it's still not the end. God is working according to his appointment of time, his calendar. All right. So did this prophecy on the rising power of Antiochus, I can't say it now, Antiochus Epiphany, did it come to pass? Well, I've given you a little, given you a little tidbits already. Yeah, it did. It did. History tells us in 170 BC, Antiochus defeated Egypt. And history tells us it's not because, you know, Ptolemy had, had, had a weak army. I mean, he had a huge army he had gathered together. But because Ptolemy the sixth trusted advisors made these deals, backroom deals. Then Antiochus, after that, sat down and had this meal. These two kings, Antiochus, the two kings mentioned here in this prophecy, and he sat down with Ptolemy's brother, Philometor, Philometor, and they sat down to make a deal so that Ptolemy's brother would take the throne. A lot of the, the Egyptians weren't happy with Ptolemy's, and so they're looking maybe, and so there was like a little power move going on with Philometor about uh, sitting down with Antiochus and, and making a deal that he could take the throne. But you know what? They both lied to each other and it never happened, never came together. I mean, isn't this crazy? We see in these prophecies so much intrigue and political manipulation. It was going on all over the place. But isn't it good to know that the end wasn't to come yet? That God hasn't appointed that time yet because it's telling us ultimately God is still in control. When when um, Antiochus came and Ptolemy, they fought and, and Ptolemy lost and Antiochus sat down with his brother trying to make this uh, little manipulated intrigue deal kind of thing. You know, that, that wasn't the end. That wasn't going to be the end of it all. No, ultimately, why? Because God is still in control. Even as these two kings tried to outdo each other. You know what? Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 10 says this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And then verse 10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time, things not yet done, prophecy. Uh, the Lord says, 
My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. I, I believe that's on your screen, but how comforting these verses are, you, you guys. I, I, I'm, take a look at, at, at these verses here. Write it down. Go back to it later. Let this be something to give you comfort that God says, My counsel shall stand. What I say, what I want, I will accomplish my purpose. No matter what the political world is doing, no matter what countries are doing, no matter all this intrigue and wickedness and evil, and no matter how 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 like here, Antiochus is is rising to power using all this manipulative political intrigue and everything and lying and deceit. God is still control. I love that. And so the point I want to make is this. Looking back, no matter how much intrigue and war goes on, God is ultimately still in control. Do you see that here? Looking back, no matter how much intrigue and war goes on, God is ultimately still in control. Recently, uh, I was reading the news and the article said this, American warships have sailed into disputed waters in South China Sea, heightening a standoff in the waterway and sharpening the rivalry between the United States and China, even as much of the world is in lockdown because of the coronavirus. So this article just came out a couple of days ago, and, and, and do you understand, even with this whole pandemic that's going on, the United States and China are still facing each other off in that disputed South China Sea. I don't know if you've been following that, following that in the past couple of years, but uh, China's trying to take over that area in the, in the world by Philippines, Malaysia, and all that, and, and they want to grab it for their own, but it's supposed to be for everyone. One-third of shipping goes through that waterway. So they have some plan with that. So here, here's these, these guys trying to, you know, take over. And then the U.S. is coming. No, you can't do that. And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's some, some things that are going on in there. I mean, we look at the world, there's, there's contentions and there's stuff going on between countries. I mean, just look at the Middle East, right? Iran just recently tried to uh, hack Israel's water system. And I was reading an article about that. And there's those tensions that's going on there, even in the midst of this coronavirus and, and the, the, the missiles that they're shooting and all that, right? And Syria allowing uh, Iran and Russia to be in there right next to Israel. There's all this stuff going on, you know, with even the Hamas and Hezbollah in the north and Hamas in the south and all that. But you know what? No matter how bad the political battles may get, no matter how bad it gets, God is still ultimately in control. When we look at this passage, I want you to see that. I want you to get learn that in your heart. Looking back, no matter how much intrigue and war goes on, God is ultimately still in control. Even with political battles within governments, right? In the EU stuff is going on. In our own country, we've seen this these past years been crazy stuff going on between Democrats and Republicans and, and our media. Everything is just all these battles and everything. But you know what? Even that, God is still control. Even right now, there's there's a battle about how to open up this country, you know, from lockdown. Even churches are, are battling some governors who've been super strict, you know, on them. And, and, and there's all kinds of battles and things that are going on. But no, God is ultimately in control. As we see here with Antiochus and how he manipulated, how he rose to power, how he worked deceitfully, God is ultimately still in control. And know this, God is greater than any of these leaders. God is greater than any king. His sovereign will and his plan will never be stopped. What his counsel is, what he puts forth this, he will accomplish his will and his sovereign plan. God is mighty. God is, God is, um, you know, I've been, I started praying today, uh, uh, my new word for God is El Shaddai. And it comes from Genesis 49. It means the mighty God of, uh, of Jacob, the mighty God. And so that is who God is to us. 
El Shaddai, the mighty God. He's greater, you guys, than all the, the what the countries and our governments that are doing. He's greater than that. And know that today, that no matter what happens, God is sovereign in power. So that's how we can trust God and we're going to keep praying for even in our situations that we're living under right now. Okay, let's go on now to number two, the raging evil, the raging evil. In prophecy and history here in our part two, we've seen the rising power. Now we go on to the raging evil. For those of you taking notes, this section is going to cover verse 28 through 34. But let's first read verse 28, verse 28, the raging evil. Take a look here with me here it says and he shall return to his land with great wealth but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant and he shall work his will and return to his own land all right again this is talking about antiochus epiphany antiochus the four now antiochus it says here he returned now uh to his land which is syria with his plunder and all after this victory after the meeting right but it says here, he was set against the Holy Covenant. What is that? Well, it means he was set against the Jews and their beliefs. He, he set against, you know, Israel, basically. He doesn't like Judaism. He doesn't like their belief in God and their worship. And he's against Israel. So, notice here the prophecy says he was able to work his will. You know what that means? He was able to allow to do whatever he wanted to do against the Jews on his way home to Syria. So Antiochus, we see here, was very against the Jews. And in this prophecy, it, it says that, that he's going to deal with them. So did this prophecy come to pass? Yes. History tells us now. On his way home to Syria, Antiochus went through Israel. And you know what happened? There was a rumor going around Israel, that Antiochus had died. He went to war, right, with the south, with Egypt. So on his way home, he catches this rumor, and, and he finds the Jews were celebrating his death. Now, he didn't like that. On top of that, with this rumor going around, the high priest at that time, he mustered a thousand Jews to come and oust this puppet priest that Antiochus has set up. Uh, the high, uh, a high priest there, and and so this Jewish priest got like thousand rebellious Jews to rebel and take back their temple from this puppet priest. Well, Antiochus was just fuming; he was upset, and so he came in. Why do you think I'm dead? You're celebrating what? And you trying to take over here by taking out my my priest that I appointed there? And and understand now, there's there's Jews who are who are, who are part of starting to follow Greek culture. And so this puppet priest was a, a, a Jewish guy, but he was for Antiochus. Well, Antiochus was all upset about that. And you know what? He killed 80,000 men and he took 40,000 men prisoners. That, that's what we see in history. It came to pass. I was trying to think about the 80,000 Man, that's crazy. It took 40,000. I mean, just think, our island alone, maybe we have 150,000, 140,000 people. This is hundred. 20,000 people was affected, uh, this Jews in Jerusalem and in Israel. Crazy time. This is, you can see, the raging evil. That's our heading of Antiochus. All right, then look at verse 29 here, verse 29 through 31. It says, now, at the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. There's that word time again. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate so now we come into this this portion of prophecy is 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 really relates even to the end times but it it's it's so shocking here so the prophecy says this that basically this king of the north antiochus at this time we know will return to egypt he's gonna try and go to the south again he's gonna try and take it but notice again at the time appointed it says 
God's not going to allow that. The sovereign hand of God draws a line, says, nope, that's not going to happen. But, and so he will not be able to take it to have victory like he did before. That's what the prophecy is saying. Reason? Well, it says here, for the ships of Kittim. Now, Kittim is another name for Cyprus. It's an ancient name for Cyprus back then. They're going to come over across the Mediterranean Sea, and they'll, they'll come in. Antichius won't, won't be able to defeat them. He's going to run in retreat. But he's going to be enraged. He's going to be upset that he, he lost. And he's going to take it out, you know what, on the Holy Covenant. And, and what's that talking about? Israel, the Jewish people, right? And then notice it says there he's going to pay attention. Or in other words, he's going to give favor or reward to those who what? Forsake the Holy Covenant. And what is that? That's those Jews, remember I was mentioning, who left Judaism for the Greek culture, uh, Hellenism. Now, understand, even though we're talking about Egypt and Syria here, or, you know, it's still Greek culture here. They were, the, the Greek empire got splintered into these different kingdoms, right? Remember the four kingdoms. But So it's still like the, the Greek guys are in, in rule here. So Antiochus, is, he's, he's a Greek king, basically, and he's, he's been pushing Greek culture all over in his reign in, in Syria and when he over. Uh, took Israel. So there's some who forsake these Jews, the, their Judaism, and they're all into the Greek culture. And then if you look at verse 31, Antiochus, he's gonna, he's enraged, he's upset, he's going to send his army now to take the temple and the fortress. He's going to take the city of Jerusalem the, with its walls and everything. He's going to take the temple and they're going to take away, Antiochus comes in, he's going to take away the regular burnt offering. In other words, he's going to stop the Jewish sacrifices. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He's going to desecrate the temple. Well, we see in this prophecy that Antiochus went crazy with his raging evil here. So, did this come to pass here? What was written here in 536 BC, did this come to pass Yes, it did. History tells us this. When Antiochus went down to Egypt to try and battle them again and take Egypt, take the whole country for his own, the ships of Kittim came. And you know what that was? from? They came from Cyprus. That was the Roman navy. And this happened in 168 B.C. And so he was defeated. He went running in retreat. And so he was enraged. He was angry. So he took out his anger, you know what, on the Jews. He sent 22,000 soldiers into Jerusalem. He, he took Jerusalem. He attacked Jerusalem. He burned Jerusalem. And he did this on the Sabbath day. He knew, he knew that they would not be working in that rest. He killed many. He took women and children as, he, as, he, as slaves. And then during that time, he stopped the sacrifices. They could not offer sacrifices. History tells us that he stopped, he, he made the Jews stop, stop, uh, uh, observing the Jewish festivals, the holidays, and, get this, he ordered the copies of the law all to be burned. Then he did this most despicable thing. On December 16th, history tells us, 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes erected a statue of Zeus, right, a Greek god, on the altar of burnt offering there in the temple. And, he went and not only that, he went and sacrificed a pig on it. And then he ordered, actually, he, he, he ordered the Jews that every month on the 25th, because his birthday was on the 25th, he, uh, uh, he ordered them to sacrifice a pig on that altar. This is the abomination that makes desolate. And, and that really speaks about how evil he was and wicked that he, he went in and desecrated the most holy place for the Jews, and that's God's temple. 
And that's really a preview of what the Antichrist is going to do. And we'll talk about that next time. But that's why this is even in here. That's why, remember, this prophecy is the answer to Daniel's prayer. And it's all about Israel and its place in, in the world. And it is going to go on and survive as Daniel had been praying for Israel. So here it's, it's really centered on, this temp, on the temple and what this guy did with this abomination of desolation, we, we call it today. But the abomination that makes desolate. That's what it is. Amazing, isn't it? This all happened just as it was written here. Remember, again, this prophecy was written and in, in, uh, was given actually in 536 BC. And in Antiochus Epiphany came to rule and uh, or came to do this in, in that year, right? In 167 BC, he came and did that desolation act. 369 years before it happened, the prophecy was given. All right, verse 32, the prophecy goes on to verse 34. Take a look with me there. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. And then verse 34, When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. All right, well, this next section of, of prophecy goes on in what happened in all of this. Antiochus, he's going to seduce with flattery those Jews who violate or sadly go against their faith and commandments in God. Remember, a, a lot of the Jews had gone back into, we'll say, the world, the Greek culture. They left Judaism. They, they were, and, and so he's going to flatter. He's going he's gonna to give them favors and try and draw them in to support him. I mean, that, that was how he manipulated, right? He's been manipulating people. That's the evil that he does. A manipulation like that is evil. It, 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 you can see it. It's from Satan. That's what he does. But there will be those Jews now, notice here, that will stand firm and take action. Isn't that great to know? Verse 32. There's going to be some who's going to gather together and go against the king. And also, the wise now, those who truly fear God, that's what it's talking about, those who are into the scriptures, they will encourage others to understand what's going on, this evil that is being done against God. Uh, how Antiochus is trying to pull them away from the Lord. And then many of these Jews will be martyred, basically, uh, by sword and flame. Uh, they're going to be uh, cut, killed, right, by sword, and they're going to be burned to death. That's what it means by being stumbled. They're going to be persecuted, basically. And they'll be taken into captivity, and, and they'll be plundered of their goods. So they're going to stumble. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to suffer persecution and martyrdom. And during this time, little help will, will come. Not, not a lot of other countries are going to come and save them. They're going to be alone, basically. But some, some of the Jews, will join up with Antiochus with this flattery, or I'm sorry, they'll be going to join up with this rebellion with flattery. In other words, they're going to have other motives. That's what the prophecy is talking about. So we see in this prophecy, in this section, that a Jewish revolt basically against Antiochus will rise up because of the raging evil of this king. Did this happen? No, did it? No, just joking. <laughs> Yes, it did happen, right? You know the answer already, right? So history tells us not all the Jews were in, in, in a place of apostasy, right? Uh, not all of them had fallen away, abandoned God and all that, embracing the Greek culture. Not all of them. That's what history tells us. Even though Antich Antichius went to you know, grab these guys, but a group of men actually rose up first, and they were called the Mashchalim, um, the Mashchalim. And guess what, what that word means? Wise. Wisdom. The wise. They were called the wise. And that's exactly what verse 33 is talking about. How, how amazing is that? In prophecy, that back when this was given to Daniel, you know, all of a sudden, here these guys rise up and they named themselves national and the wise because, you know, they are into the scripture. They battled the apostasy of their fellow brethren who were going into the world, into the Greek culture with scripture. They battled to keep faith alive 
And, and that's amazing that Daniel wrote this. And, and, and you know what? Uh, I was reading something that, that they actually were reading Daniel and they could see that they were written of when, and the days that they were living in had been prophesied right here in Daniel. Isn't that amazing? They saw what Daniel wrote and knew they were living in those days. And so that even fired, up, fired them up more to share the scriptures. There was also an, a priest named Ma, uh, Mattathias Maccabeus, who, as it says in ver- verse 32, came to stand firm and to take action. He and, and he and his five sons, they refused to bow to the false god, refused to sacrifice, and, and they're persecuted. They ran away in the mountains. But from there, they began to battle Antiochus and his armies and his men. It was guerrilla warfare going on. And one of his sons, and you probably know in history this, Judah Maccabeus became a great leader after his father died. And, and he really uh, up the battles and up, up the, the winds against Antiochus and armies even more. This was what is called the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean Revolt. Isn't that great? It's prophesied right here in Daniel. Um, we know of that in history. Even there's, I think, in Zechariah 10 or 12, is uh, they believe it's a reference to that too. But now, by 164 B.C., they had finally retaken Jerusalem and they restored the temple and its sacrifice. So that's a real famous date for the Jews because they reinstated the sacrifices in the temple after all their battling. Today, it's a celebration. They call it the Feast of Dedication or you probably know of it as the Festival of Hanukkah. That celebrates that victory in 164 B.C. Isn't that great? We're alive today to see that celebration from that, from what happened way back in 164 B.C. And we're reading about it here that was given in 536 B.C. Crazy. 422 years uh, later from the prophecy, this happened. So amazing here. And here's the interesting thing. Remember the prophecy about some of the Jews will join them, will join this revolt? Well, the interesting thing is that many of those Jews that deserted God came back, but hypocritically, they joined the revolt because in fear of these uh, of the everyone who was for the Maccabeans. So interesting, there was more of fear than love for God. It was more of oh yeah, well, we'll just join up, yeah, because we don't want to be you know be different here. Crazy, amazing. This prophecy came true. Once again, history proves prophecy. Once again, history proves God's word is true. So here's the thing that we see here. Looking back, God will always make sure to have a faithful remnant in the midst of faithlessness. That's what we see here. Even though it seems like like, like Israel as a nation was was falling away from God, was abandoning God. They were, they were getting into the world or the Greek culture. They're leaving those things of God. There were still people who were following the Lord. So we see in this prophecy that God took those guys and they became the, the ones who held the torch, who fought for God to live for Him and for their faith. So looking back, God will always make sure to have a faithful remnant in the midst of faithlessness. And so that was God doing that. Yesterday, I read about a survey from the American Worldview Inventory uh, from uh, Cultural Research Center. I know that's a lot there. But basically, it came out of Arizona Christian University. And you know what they reported? I thought this was interesting. They reported that 86 percent of Americans poll that they polled believe in a universal shared purpose of human life that oh well we, we all have a, a purpose in this life that we live but they also said 66 percent said they believe they have a unique god-given calling or purpose and I thought oh yeah that's great we all you know have a calling and purpose but then sadly they said this 18 percent only 18 percent believe that the universal purpose to life is knowing, I quote, knowing, loving, and serving God. 
Isn't that sad? 18% now. Only 18%. How sad is that? What happened to loving God? What happened to God being our priority? We live for Him. We serve Him. What what happened to that? Only 18%. A lot of of them felt like, oh yeah, I got a purpose. Yeah, I'm going to do, oh God's giving me a purpose. But that purpose of what they're supposed to do, that was, that became the idol. Not, you know, they weren't loving God. That was the priority. How sad is that? Jesus did prophesy that in the end times, in Matthew 24, 12, he says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. We see that already. I've talked about this before. We see churches shrinking, not growing. We see people even coming to church, but are they on fire for God? No, they just come, they do their thing, they go. Yeah. It's almost like, well, the only time that they're quote-unquote religious is on Sunday. The rest of the week, oh, they just live, live life and how, how they like. There's no passion for God and loving Him more. And that's what Jesus said is going to happen in end times. And, and guys, that's what we live in right now. Uh, uh, we pastors talk about that. We see that right now. But I know, as we see here, looking back, God will always make sure to have a faithful remnant in the midst of lawlessness. Let me ask you, which side of the line are you? Are you part of that 18% or are you part of the rest there? Listen, if you are not deeply disturbed by what I showed you in this survey, you might want to check your heart. The reality is time goes by, there will be less and less people who sincerely love Jesus. Hearts are going to get more cold and colder and colder and ice cold toward Jesus. But I tell you, for me, I want to be part of that 18%. I want to be part of the remnant. I want to be part of the, um, the, the, the wise ones back here that we're reading about or, or the Maccabeans. I want to be part of that remnant. Don't you? Are you willing to battle and fight? Yeah. The, the things that the enemy is bringing into your lives to draw you away into the world into the lifestyle and culture of the world. I'll tell you, there's so many things. I know we're in lockdown, maybe we're watching a lot of shows, but be careful of that influence, of the worldly influence on your life, because Satan wants to influence you and draw you away into, into the culture of the world. And, and, and you know what? Our flesh so easily gives into that. We need to battle and fight. Those things are pulling on our heart, pulling us away from the Lord, pulling us away from our relationship with God, pulling us away from really falling in love with Jesus. Let's be that remnant. Let's be like these guys that have been prophesied here and that we see in history that they fought to be with God. They fought for their faith and they lived it out. All right, let's go on to number three now. Uh, We better finish up here. The refining work, the refining work. In prophecy and history, we see the rising power, the raging evil. Now our very last verse, verse 35, the refining work. Take a look with me here. One verse. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined purified and made white until the time of the end for it still awaits the appointed time so we come to our last verse in this section here this morning and and with this the prophecy says that some of the wise that's the jews who 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 follow god who who understand and who who are you know uh uh turn from being in the world and start following them, that they'll stumble. The word stumble isn't like how we use it today. It's talking about that they'll fall victim to persecution and the martyrdom. And, and, and the reason, though, is interesting here, uh, that they will suffer persecution. That's the idea here. The reason for all this coming upon the people of Israel, the reason God allows the suffering, was that so the people may be, and there's three things here, I don't know if you can see this, that they'll be refined, purified, and made white. Uh, t- let's take a quick look at this. The, 
this this persecution, this trial, and this trouble that they're going through. Well, the reason is that number one, that they may be refined. That is, they may be purged. Purge what? Purge of sin, sin and sinful practice practices. The fire persecution, the trial of faith, it weeds out that sin and unbelief. Like a refiner's fire, right? He heats up the gold and all the impurities rise to the top so he can scoop out those impurities. That's what the fire of persecution does. And that's what we see here in this prophecy. God is saying, hey, Daniel, your people, Israel, they're going to go through this fire persecution. But you know what? There's a purpose in it. He's saying they're going to be refined. Secondly, they're going to be purified. That means cleanse. And so as those impurities are taken out of the gold, the gold becomes pure. That's a result of the purging as they become purified. And that's what suffering and trial does. You know, it deadens the, the flesh. It, it, it really brings out who we really are in God and who we are as a people and, and kind of wakes us up to that too, right? And so we get purified. And the third thing the Lord says here in verse 35 in a prophecy that they may be made white. And, and white robes of, of a white it, it's a symbol of righteousness and so that they may be purged of their sin they may be purified and then now that they may live a holy life as god is holy that's the idea really that that they would live that righteous life that god wants us to live god told israel in leviticus eleven forty four, be holy for i am holy so the lord is saying here in this prophecy that god is going to use this time of suffering and persecution to change the hearts of the people. And notice, he also says here at the end, for it still awaits, the, or, or excuse me, until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So notice that this is the length of it. In other words, until the time of the end. In other words, Israel will continue to be persecuted until when? When? This is speaking until the end end times until jesus comes back the messiah comes back and sets up his rule and reign in the earth and that is the appointed time that's what god has set in his sovereign will so this actually verse 35 sets up the next section this last section daniel 11 we're gonna we're gonna look at that next time but for now the prophecy is that the jews will be will go through this persecution but there's a reason They'll go through it. So they will be changed in this time of persecution of Antiochus Epiphanes. So this is the refining work, our last heading here. And you know what? The amazing thing, history tells that. History tells us that. That in this Maccabean revolt that happened during this time of Fierce persecution, people dying, but but people risen up, teaching the word. People wanted to bring back the sacrifices, honor God, live for Him again during that, that time. It's told that the those Hellenistic, the Greek way of life that had you know entrenched the Jewish people during this persecution, it purged that apostasy and sin out of the hearts of all the Jews. And by the time the last leader of the Maccabeans died in 134 BC. Uh, it's written that the, the history tells us the Jews were basically all back to God. They're all their hearts toward God. So God is did that. And we see that prophecy, this prophecy in verse 35 come true. And you know what? God is still working too. And he's still going to work that out. I was thinking of how when when um, <clears throat> the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, 39 happens and God saves Israel from the attack of, of Russia and the Arab states and all Iran and Turkey. You know what? God saves them. That's going to be an awakening to many of the Jews. And during the tribulation times, even more so, Jesus will be preached and many Jews will be come to be saved in Christ Jesus. So that God's going to continue to work through these hard times for Israel. And just as he did here in this prophecy and came true during the Maccabean revolt. All right, our last point. We see this. Looking back exposes the ultimate plan of the refining work of God. Looking back exposes the ultimate plan of the refining work of God. Persecution, suffering, trial, that's what it does. It refines us. It purifies us. It, it makes us white. So some I read the story. Some guys were discussing what is the best way to pray. One of them said, the best way to pray is 
on my knees. Another guy said, no, the best way to pray is standing with your head bowed. That's the best way to pray. A third guy said, the best way to pray is upside down, standing on my head. What? The other guys are like, wait, what, 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 what are you talking about? Well, the guy explains, last year, this third guy said, I fell down a well head first. The rope happened to catch my foot. And well, that was the best prayer I ever said, standing on my head. Well, it's true, right? When you're in the middle of a crisis, when you're upside down, right? We tend to pray the hardest and seek God the most. Isn't that true? Well, that's what God is showing Daniel here. Suffering, persecution, hard times, trouble. That's going to drive people to really seek God. And so, so God showing Daniel in the prophecy, you know, Israel's really going to seek me during this time. And that's what happens, doesn't it? Persecution purified the nation from apostasy and sin. That's what we saw and brought them back to God and changed their hearts. And isn't that what trials do for you and I? It gets our attention. It makes us pray and seek God. That's how God uses these times of suffering, pain, trouble, unknown, fear, things when, when things are out of control, and even now in, in these unprecedented times. And we don't know as the society opens up, as, as the governor says, oh, well, you can do this now, you can do this, well, do this now. What is life going to be like? And, and that can be stressful in itself. But the amazing thing is during that time of trial and trouble when you really seek God, you know what? We find God. And He's there with you in the midst of trial. And we find victory. And, and you know how we find victory? Sometimes it's not, not uh, the trial going away. But we find victory in, in experiencing God's overwhelming love. We find victory in His strength helping us to get through the times of trouble. And we find victory in the peace that, that passes all understanding, right? Last Wednesday. We, we find God moving like never before. And that's the ultimate plan of God in His refining work. To get us, get rid of our idols, to get rid of our flesh, to get us trusting Him now. Not, not, not our money, not things, not, not what we can control but to get rid of sin and to finally truly turn to Him. Well, this amazing time here in chapter 11 of Daniel. Next time we're, gonna, we're, uh, uh, next time we're in Daniel, we're, we're going to go on and talk about the Antichrist. But let, let me close with this. Winston Churchill once said, The longer you look back, the farther you can look forward. Isn't that good? As we look back, on history and into this prophecy and how it all came true, we see that God is sovereignly in control. We continue to see that, that God holds our future. He knows our our future. Nothing will surprise Him. And we see even here, God will never give us more than we can handle, right? He limited Antiochus here. And we see God will always be there watching God is in control of history. He's the God of history. He's the Lord over history. And you know what? If God, if we see God is in control of history, God is in control of our tomorrow. And that means also that God is in control today. He's in control of my life, of your life today. And so let's take what we've learned. Let's understand it. But let's receive it. Let, let's Live it. Let it transform our lives, our faith, and our trust in Him. And let's take all that we learn here. Let's be the people we are supposed to be as we've taken a deep look into prophecy and history. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, <clears throat> close up here, God, we just want to give you honor and glory, God. We want to acknowledge that you are Lord God, you are El Shaddai, the mighty God. You are everlasting. You hold all power and you, you, you are the supreme Elohim God. And we want to acknowledge and honor you because, God, that will help us today. God, thank you that in your sovereignty, you saw what was going to happen to Israel. But you told Daniel that you would still be in control and that you would not allow the nation to be destroyed. 
Thank you, Lord, that you limited even evil kings and their power and how far that they could go. And Lord, thank you that in all of this, in your sovereign power, you have a purpose, God. It just doesn't happen, Lord. But there's a purpose in all of this to re- to purge us, to refine us, and to make us white. Lord, may you make us white. May you refine us, and may these trials and troubles we're going through right now as a church, as individually in our families, as an as a island, as a state, as a nation with this whole pandemic, may it refine us and make us more like you, Jesus. May, we, may it rid us of our sins, our habits, habitual sin, and may we become those who shine forth our faith and trust of you, God, of who, who you are, Lord, and, and that we can live this life and experience you like we've never done before. So, Lord, we want to honor you. We thank you that you are on the throne, Lord. You still rule and reign no matter what the government may do, no matter what the nations may do, no matter how things are being handled, Lord, with this pandemic, you are still on the throne and we will trust you and in your sovereignty, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship him.